0: Welcome to the 101st episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with Edward Wright, author of the new novel, From Blood. Stay tuned for the interview. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Edward Wright, author of the new novel, From Blood. Wright's earlier novels won many awards, including the Seamus Award, the Barry Award, and the C.W.A. Ellis Peters Historical Crime Award. Ed, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi, Jeff. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Sure. Well, first, can I ask you to read the first three or four paragraphs of your novel, From Blood?
1: Sure, I'd be glad to. Uh, Let me do something a little unusual. Let me me read the... um, uh, the, the final paragraph of the prologue, which is more of an overview, sort of gives you the big picture, and then I'll I'll go right into the, the opening paragraphs of, of Chapter 1.
0: That sounds great.
1: Uh, the final paragraph of the prologue is a quote from a history book. It reads as follows. In all the attacks, the riots, and the bombings that plagued America in the tumultuous 1960s and 70s, The Crow Institute bombing of 1968 had a special notoriety. It stirred up calls for vengeance, transformed the thinking of the radical left, and sent one militant to prison and others deeper underground. Over the years, most of them either were captured or resurfaced and surrendered. All but two. Now we go into Chapter 1, which is uh, set in the present day. Shannon Fairchild was a mess. The face staring back at her from the borrowed pocket mirror bore a shiner that radiated in jolly reds and blues from her left eye over to her hairline and down to her cheekbone. The left half of her mouth was bruised and swollen, both upper and lower lips, and she could still taste blood whenever she swiped the inside of her mouth with her tongue, which, given that she had little else to do while sitting and waiting for her case to be called, she did fairly often. Separated from her purse, she made an effort to tame her hair by running her fingers to it, but that only caused it to give off the odor of cigarette smoke and other bar smells. Shannon wore last night's outfit, cotton pants, short-sleeved blouse, and scuffed, lightweight sneakers. Imprints of dirt from the floor pocked her knees, hips, and rear. Worst of all, her shirt front had Two crusty, dark gold stains. She had vomited not long after they deposited her in the cell the night before. Drunk as she was, she was still aware that throwing up on yourself was not good hygiene. So, planting her feet carefully, she leaned well over the toilet bowl, while trying not to look within its unspeakable depths and let fly. Except for two random droplets, her aim was mostly good. Looking for Ralph she'd heard one of the other women in the cell observe. Shannon hadn't understood until the woman repeated the name louder, this time in a reasonable approximation of the sound of food coming up.
0: <laughs> okay, great. That,
1: that's, as you can see, that's a portrait of a woman who has, a young woman who has pretty much bottomed out. Um, we do find out that she's an exceptional woman in a lot of ways who's um, going through a very bad stretch in her life and she's had accomplishments in her past and she will have accomplishments in her future but right now when we meet her she's in bad shape and i i sometimes enjoy starting a novel off with somebody at the very bottom of their ladder and then watching them try to climb it
0: sure well if the listeners haven't heard about from blood yet how would you describe the novel
1: um it's the the protagonist is a young woman named shannon fairchild you just met um, we could describe her as both brilliant and troubled. She gave up her Ph.D. studies to start a small business that cleans homes of rich people in this uh, California town that uh, looks very much like Santa Barbara, but which in the book goes by another another name. Um, her parents are both college teachers, and when at the near the beginning of the book, they're murdered in a particularly horrific way. Um, Her mother lives long enough to speak to Shannon, and her dying words to her daughter are, find them and warn them. Shannon has no idea what the words mean, but she's a historian by training, and uh, she begins looking into her parents' backgrounds, and she finds out that they were militant anti-war activists in the 1960s and were friends with two of America's most notorious fugitives, a woman named Diana Burke, and a man named John Paul West. Uh, Burke and West have been underground since uh, a fatal bombing in the year 1968. They've been chased by the FBI all that time. And now Shannon is being asked to find them and warn them that the same person who murdered her parents is after them. So this is the setup for the story. Um, she looks deeper into the past. She, she finds... Um, what you might call an unexpected personal connection to the two missing fugitives. this gives her an even stronger reason to find them. And now, now she has actually has a mission and it sort of takes over her life. So this is, uh, this is what drives, this is the situation that drives the story. Um, And the rest of the story is pretty much of a, I would call it in a way, it's a road story. It's a chase story. It's a, it's a quest um, it co- physically, it covers much of the Western United States, but it's also an inward story because in the course of it, Shannon finds out a lot about herself and a lot about the people that she's trying to find. So that's the setup.
0: Great. Well, given the theme of your book and the, and the plot from blood, I, I'm sure you're aware of how much in the last presidential election, Bill Ayers, a former 1960s radical came up. And and it seems that the ripples from the 1960s are still being felt today. Do you, do you think with the current generation, we're starting to leave some of that behind? Or will those continue to echo in the U.S.?
1: You know, I, I, that's a good question. And I think the answer is um, yes. I think already a lot of the lessons of the 60s um, have been forgotten. I mean, this was a long time ago. This was before a lot of us were born. Um, this is material that's relegated to the history books for a lot of people. It's, it's, I happen to be old enough, um, to remember some of this and I'm giving away my age here, but, uh, <laughs> this was an incredible time to be around. I was in Chicago in the, in the nineteen sixty in the late 1960s, working at the Chicago Tribune. I was a low level editor there and, uh, the democratic national convention was happening in 68 and there were riots in the streets and, um, uh, it was a very exciting time. It was a very scary time. You could almost see the country being split right down the middle. And um, as a journalist, I, I, couldn't, I, I couldn't not be out there observing what was happening. And sometimes I got a little too close to it. I was, I was tear gassed in, uh, in Lincoln Park, along with uh, some friends of mine and, and, and several hundred demonstrators on the the second night of convention week when the police moved into the park and and swept everybody out. So my connections to this are both, are both historical and personal. And I wanted to, um, I wanted to try to revive for people who weren't there and for people for whom the sixties is just a label. I wanted to try to revive some of the feeling of passion that I'm sure people on the far left Uh, were experiencing at the time the the, the feeling that rightly or wrongly and a lot of them went about it in the wrong way but a lot of them felt they could change the nation, change the course of government and change the world in some way they could stop the war in Vietnam there was all this political commitment and um, a lot of them went out into the streets to express it and a lot of them got their heads cracked and and, uh, so it was a very violent time Um, there were bombs set off uh, as you'll remember, and uh, some people died so um in in a way it was I, I sometimes think of it as one of America's most tumultuous decades um and i want for the people who weren't there, I wanted to write a book that looked backward into this time and tried to resurrect some of that feeling in in the form of in the form of two characters who in my imagination um were participants and were leaders of that movement and who went underground and remained underground and are still out there today and and uh... they become the focal point of shannon's quest so um, when she eventually meets up with them, she has a chance to see and talk with two people who absolutely embodied uh... the far left politics of the sixties and she's because again because she's a historian by training she's she drinks it in i mean she's hungry for all, for this experience and for this this second exposure to these people find out what they were right um but i hope that answers your question this this was my attempt to try to bring the 60s alive in a small way um as a, as a subplot you know as a subplot for what is essentially a, a thriller novel
0: right well, well, well. Shifting a moment to your John Ray Horn series, which is set in nineteen forties Los Angeles, why did that period and setting appeal to you?
1: I, uh, you know, it's strange. I it's a little hard to put into words, but I have always enjoyed, for example, m- movies from the nineteen forties, and um, I'm trying to figure out why I, I, I've liked. I like the look, the black and white look of that period. I like the way people talked. I like the way the dialogue sounded. I I, uh, I like the uh, the lifestyles they lived in, the cars they drove and the clothes they wore and sometimes the music they listened to It was a whole gestalt of the of post war 1940s that had always appealed to me and I think it began with the movies and then later uh, when I got older I discovered some of the you know the writing, usually in the form of detective novels, which really captured some of the feel of both the 30s and 40s in the in the, in the writing of um, people like Raymond Chandler and, and uh, Dashiell Hammett. Although he was writing San Francisco, uh, James M. Kane, who wrote a lot about Los Angeles. So I, when it came time for me to choose um, the setting for a first novel, I. Um, I know this was kind of an unusual move because most people don't set their books in the past. A lot of them do, but I think most first-time writers don't. I just wanted to go back there, and I wanted to, um, it's sort of the way I feel about the 60s. I wanted to try to recreate what it was about the 40s that fascinated me. Not necessarily all good, some bad, but um, I wanted to, um, and, and because I was living in Los Angeles at the time, I wanted to resurrect the feeling of, Los Angeles when it was a young city when it was a kind of a boom town just coming out of World War II and growing by leaps and bounds and and a a city that had almost thrown away the rule book it was growing so fast it was a natural place for gangsters and hustlers to settle and try to make their fortunes and and of course for private eyes to have their uh, their livelihood so um, I remember saying to my wife one morning I was sitting there thinking about what the subject for my next book might be and I said to her just kind of idly what would you think about a character who used to be an actor in the b-movies like a cowboy actor in the b-movies and now he's had a lot of trouble he's gone to prison he's come out of prison he's back on the streets of los angeles he's trying to make his living what would you think about that as a character for the first novel, and she said, "Great!" <laughs> so I, I, you know, with with, with my <laughs> wife's approval, I uh, I just plowed ahead, and and that was the beginning of the first John Rayhorn novel, and it went on from there to uh, what is now a trilogy. Great. Well,
0: well, you mentioned earlier uh, working as an editor at a Chicago newspaper in the nineteen sixties. What what initially drew you to writing fiction? Well, what, I mean, you just mentioned, uh, you know, writing that first novel, was that something that you had always wanted to do? Had you written short stories before then?
1: This is one of the hardest questions to answer because I, um, I, I came into this almost through the side door. I, uh, I worked in Chicago for a while and, um, and then moved out to Los Angeles with the promise of a better job. And I, I was at the Los Angeles times for several years and, and, um, The L.A. Times in the early 90s was uh, beginning to offer what they called buyouts to people who'd been there for a while. They were trying to um, make room for, um, basically, not to put too fine a point on it, they were trying to make room for younger people who uh, would work cheaper. So (laughs) they were offering incentives to some of us more senior uh, editors and reporters to take a buyout with a, a generous offer of uh, bonuses and medical insurance and all kinds of things. It was a very generous package. And so I did the arithmetic and I thought, well, you know, I I could actually do that. I could quit working now if I want to and try something else. And the next question that arose was, well, what would you do if you didn't have to work a nine-to-five job? Or in the case of the LA Times, more of a, nine to seven job. Um, and the answer that came up kind of quickly, it surprised me was, I think I'd like to try writing some fiction. Uh, it was not something I'd done before. It was not something I'd dreamed about, but I, 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 you know, I'm a lifelong reader. I've always enjoyed reading all kinds of books. And, um, I think buried deep inside me somewhere was the, the question can, can you write a novel? Um, I'd never, as I say, I'd never tried it, um, but I think the question was there, and as soon as I saw the opportunity to quit newspapering, the question rose to the surface and then became a real question, and I expressed it, and I started talking to people about it, and And the answer was, well, I don't know, but I, I'm i going to try. I think I'm going to, now I have a chance to do it, I'm going to try. So that was the beginning of my, my writing career, And I and I want to assure you, it did not go well at first, because when you start trying to write fiction from scratch, it is full of pitfalls and and dead ends and and um, and missteps and badly written prose. You know, you have to go through a lot of this. So, and what, did, what, what was those. that?
0: What was that experience like for you? Did did you end up revising that first novel multiple times? I mean, you, you, you just talked about the pitfalls.
1: No, the the first the um, the the first John Rehorn novel was um, came after uh, some of the missteps um, the first novel I tried to write was so awful that I got about <laughs> 20,000 words of it down and then asked my wife to read it and she was very kind to me but she said um, this some of the writing is not bad but I I don't think you have a plot and of course my feelings were Really hurt, and I went back to the what I'd written and read through it, and she was absolutely right. I had no plot, so I this was just not a book that was going to work. So I put it aside, never went back to it. Moved on to a, a second attempt, which became a full-blown novel. I um, it took me years to work through it. And I, I, when you're writing a novel for the first time, there really is no rule book, and you just have to feel your way. So I spent the next three years writing. Uh, a novel, a contemporary novel with uh, some of the history of Hollywood sort of packed into the um, the plot, looking backward and to try to solve a, a mystery that happened years ago. And um, I had a good experience with that, and I was able to find an, an agent, but he was unable to sell it. So that was my second failure at, at writing a novel. And it was after that that I moved on to, I had the idea about John Ray Horn, and um, I was about 18 chapters into that when I, uh, an enormous stroke of good luck came my way. I I learned that I had won um, uh, something called the Debut Dagger Award in England, which is given out to every year to um, uh, the best uh, unpublished novel that's submitted. Um, I had submitted it on a whim and without having any idea. First, I didn't even know if Americans were eligible to, uh, to enter this contest, but I sent it in. And to my huge surprise, I, I won. And um, that was really the turning point in, in my early career because uh, the debut dagger attracts a lot of attention uh, in England. And um, it brought with it an offer uh, from an agent to represent me over there. And who was able to very quickly sell uh, two books to Orion in uh, London, and then when I, I came back to the States uh, after the award ceremony, um, I was able to find an agent over here fairly quickly who was able to to sell, also to sell two novels to uh, G. P. Putnam just based on the strength of the award. So I was I, I was suddenly off and running, and it was uh, it was a piece of luck that I actually i always be grateful to the. The uh, the Brits um, for for recognizing uh, what they saw in that book and for and for um, for giving me that award because it made a huge difference.
0: That's a great story.
1: <laughs> so so what? There's t- another story. I'll tell it very quickly. Yes, sir. Um, When I called my wife to let her know that I'd won, um, I said to her that they want to know if we want to come to England to accept the award. And uh, we both thought for a second because 9-11 had occurred about a week before and nobody was flying and nobody wanted to get on a plane. And that included us. But my wife finally said, well, look, how could you not go? I mean, you have to go. We have to go. (laughs) So that decided it. And we jumped on a plane and went.
0: That's great. Well, well, given your your uh, experience thus far in, in in publishing the novels, and more importantly, writing the novels that 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 you've had published, what what tips or advice would you offer for aspiring writers?
1: Um, I get asked this occasionally, and I always come up with the same answer because it's it's one that was really good for me, and with the understanding that. Every writer's experience is different, and I'm sure that every first-time writer's experience is different, but I I will throw this out because this was really useful. I would say, if you can, join a writing group um, as soon as you can. Find a bunch of people who are congenial people and who are trying to do the same thing that you're doing, who are uh, both in the early stages of a writing career and who want to write, uh, hopefully, if you're writing fiction, then they want to write fiction, too. Um, find yourself a good group of people. Meet on a regular basis. Uh, don't look for a writing teacher or an instructor yet, because every writing teacher is different, and they charge money. And, and, and the kind of writing room I'm talking about is the organic kind, where it's just friends. And it's um, that's the sort of place where you can get encouragement, you can get critiques, uh, you can get a welcome, you can get a reception from your writing every week when you read it to them, and and it's the kind of support group that I think every beginning writer needs. You need, you know, writing is such a lonely process. You you really need to feel that you're you're part of a community, and this is a good way to a good early way to make yourself part of a community that's where you not only get support but you get critiques, and you need feedback you need feedback from more than one person um it's great if your spouse will give you feedback especially if your spouse is a is a good reader um but you need more than that you need a group of people and for me a writing group which i just stumbled into um at the very beginning of of uh, the that novel that i described to you with the hollywood siplot that never got published i was right i wrote that over the course of about three years when i belonged to a writing group and it was a even though the book was never published, it was a wonderful experience. It was it was me sort of trying to be a writer and growing as a writer, not worrying about for the moment about getting published, just going through the writing process and enjoying it. And so I can I'd say, if, no matter where you live, a small town or a big city, if you can find a writing group or maybe start one among your friends, that will be a good uh, first step.
0: That's great advice. Uh, what what books, fiction or nonfiction, have you read in the last six to eight months that that made an impact on you and that you would recommend?
1: I have to say, I'm re- right now I'm reading biographies, and I'm not sure exactly why, except that I'm getting a lot of pleasure out of biographies of people who who fascinate me or people who, about whom maybe I didn't know enough. I just finished. Um, I actually can't tell you how, how well this translates into my my fiction writing. I really don't know. All I know is that this happens to be the kind of reading I hunger for right now. So I've been going through several biographies lately. and The, the one I just finished a couple of days ago is, the I think, the latest biography of Ernest Hemingway. It's called Hemingway's Boat it's by a writer named Paul Hendrickson. And he focuses on, it's not a true biography because he doesn't cover the whole life in detail, but it's a... Fascinating kind of psycho biography, where he gets digs underneath the surface of the man, tries to find out what makes him tick. Uh, did an enormous amount of research, uh, including primary research, talking to family members and going through tons of letters and archives, and and he gives you, a, I think, a very full portrait of a complicated, troubled, um, incredibly talented uh, person who's. Uh, early life was a series of successes one after the other and whose later life was a kind of a sad, sad decline into uh, mental illness and probably triggered by a lot of physical injuries. Uh, so that by the end, he was a sad case with uh, raging paranoia and, uh, and all sorts of physical problems. But, but it's a, you know, he was a giant writer. Um, he's not read as much today as he used to be, but I, I kind of think he, he should, I think, you know, Writers have cycles when they read and not read, and I think it's about for Hemingway to, to come back. So um, he's that's a book that made a, a big impression on me.
0: That's great. So what are you working on now?
1: I'm in the very early stages, and I mean very early. I'm at, I'm at the point where I'm I'm reading and researching and taking notes, um, of a book that I hope will take shape because it's one that it has a good feel to me even before it's. I've uh, started it. You know sometimes you can look out and see the shape of a book and see that you you see the shape of the book you want to write. You don't know if you ever will write it, but you can see it out there. It's kind of the ideal book, and that's where I am now. I'm looking out at the shape of this thing and hoping that i can I can make it happen. It, it would be a story about um, a boy, a teenage boy who whose sister is missing, and who, because of family circumstances, is the only one who can try to go find her. Now, the setting is um, Appalachia in the South uh, during the Great Depression, 1930s. So um, it's a, a landscape that I hope would have a lot of color and substance to it and, uh, and uh, probably be unfamiliar to a lot of readers, which is one reason for me to want to write a book like this, to make a place like that come alive. Um, a place that really none of us have experienced firsthand because it's, again, it's sort of like the 60s. It's tucked away in the history books. People read about what the South is like during the Great Depression, but we weren't there, so we don't know for sure. If right. I can bring this place to life in fiction and bring this character to life, um, I'll feel that I've, I've succeeded.
0: That that sounds great. Well, where can people find you online?
1: Oh, gosh, let's see. I'm, I have a website. It's www. EdwardWrightBooks.com, W-R-I-G-H-T. And Um, and I'll
0: I'll have a link to that in the show notes so people can find it.
1: Oh, that's great. I appreciate it.
0: Um, Well, again, we've been speaking with Edward Wright, author of the new novel, From Blood. Ed, thanks for doing the interview.
1: Jeff, it was a great pleasure. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Sure, thanks.